Hello from the ABA Mid-Year Meeting 2019 in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm Sharon Nelson, co-host of the Digital Detectives podcast and co-host of Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology podcast. And I'm John Simic, also a co-host of Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Alex Johnson. I'm Sam Russo. I'm Jim Hanks. I'm Steve Wormiel. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. Thank you so much for joining us on On the Road. It's a pleasure to be here. And let me, if I can ask all of you to tell me very briefly what it is you do um, and a little bit about yourself, but just a, a snippet, please. I'm a program director at the California Wellness Foundation and a past president and a member of the Los Angeles County Board of Education. Assistant professor of political science and constitutional law at California State University, Dominguez Hills. I'm an attorney in private practice in a firm that represents over 150 school districts in the state of Iowa. And I'm a professor of constitutional law at American University, Washington College of Law. So let, let's get started on the first question and tell us, our listeners a little bit about Heckler's Veto. The Heckler's Veto is a very troublesome issue because what it does is diminish the rights of individuals to exercise their free speech, and it can be exercised by a single person attempting to react to a statement or a statement with which they simply disagree. And if school districts are not careful, uh, they may allow a heckler's veto to suppress uh, otherwise protected free speech on the part of a student. Most troubling today is the um, support that many college students have demonstrated for the use of the heckler's veto in order to squelch speech that they find hurtful or harmful. Uh, while nobody likes being subjected to speech that might be offensive, nonetheless there is a First Amendment right protecting the speech that is harmful or offensive, and students uh, support the idea of using disruptions, using noise, using um, essentially mob tactics to shout down speakers with which they disagree is unsettling for thinking about long-term implications for First Amendment rights. So does the Tinker decision still hold up? I think the Tinker decision does still hold up. Uh, I think we've seen a significant uh, amount of young people uh, and young people in schools uh, raising their voice in activism uh, and making certain that they are uh, able to uh, lift uh, the issues that they care about uh, immensely in the school setting. Uh, and so whether it's uh, gun violence, whether it's uh, youth justice, whether it's issues around uh, same-sex bathrooms, uh, young people have been able to leverage the Tinker decision and their right to express their speech. And that has not been, uh, I think, significantly diminished uh, by uh, school districts, administrators, teachers. So what, what about next steps? Who wants to address that one? Well, actually, I'd like to go back to the previous question okay. because I think uh, the, the, the teaching of Tinker remains extremely important. And when we counsel our clients, school district board, uh, boards of directors uh, and administrators, uh, we find we have a relatively uh, receptive audience and they understand and respect the exercise of the rights. If you think about the Parkland case in which many students were murdered, mm -hmm. there was throughout the entire country and in many school districts in Iowa, a walkout. Right. Almost without exception, those walkouts were a form of student speech that was protected. There were no disciplinary actions taken against those students. The same is true of a day of silence. Uh, that is respected by many districts. Uh, so those exercises that I'm referring to, whether it's for illegal uh, immigration and protests of one way or the other, I, I think are very alive today. So next steps, there are always things that are, are challenging the, the schools and their vision of free speech. Uh, the use of social media is one of the 
great hot issues today. To what degree can schools regulate student speech on various social media platforms that takes place outside of school but may have an impact on school? Lots of court cases on that. Um, no real resolution of the question. The balance between um, harassment and, and protecting free speech is another one. Bullying and protecting free speech. Where's the line? How do school districts draw that line? Anyone else? Yes, the cyberbullying uh, statutes uh, that were passed in the last 10 years are almost universally devoid of any respect for the First Amendment. If you read them carefully, I think what you'll find is they attempt to protect students who are the victims of harassment or bullying without any consideration whatsoever to the rights of the speakers. Uh, so I think when we talk about where we're going, what's the next step, there's going to be a conflict between the enforcement of cyberbullying laws in particular and the exercise of First Amendment rights by students. I, I understand you gave a presentation today. What was it called and uh, how did it go? The presentation was Tinker at 50. And essentially, we are looking at the development of free speech uh, both within and outside of the schoolhouse, particularly free speech when done by students. Presentation was great. Uh, I think it was uh, a panel that had a diverse set of viewpoints, but a lot of common ground on where Tinker is, where Tinker is going, and the evolution of Tinker uh, as it relates to its progeny, to Hazelwood, to other cases uh, that have come forth. One of the things I think many of our listeners don't understand is the difference between your rights um, if you're on campus and your rights off campus. So who would like to address that? Well, this is one of the interesting developments we're seeing, both with the cyberbullying legislation that Jim mentioned before um, and with the use of social media platforms. To what degree can content be regulated when it is not made on the school grounds, but nonetheless may impact educational activities in the school itself? I think for school districts, it's very troublesome because there's an expectation that students will be protected even when the communication occurs off campus. And the reality is that the teaching of Tinker is that we can't necessarily do that. Uh, regardless of desire on the part of school district administrators to protect students from hurtful speech if that occurs completely outside of the school district and it has no repercussions within the district, uh, that's speech that remains unfettered. What about any final thoughts from you folks? I think of the question that was just posed, I think it really is going to be a balance between how we adapt to the prevalence of social media and what regulation might look like. Obviously, there are significant issues uh, with respect to cyberbullying and how that impacts the school grounds, but I think it's an open question on how you actually regulate that uh, when social media is going to continue and evolve um, and students are going to use it in many different and creative ways. I think one of the more concerning issues which has come up is the degree to which it seems college students want their speech to be regulated. Uh, going forward, I'm not sure what's, where this is going to lead us when we have almost the old Walt Kelly Pogo mind, we've met the enemy and he is, we, he is us. What does it mean when the students themselves are basically asking for speech to be censored on their college campuses? And I think that the student exercise of free speech carries with it an obligation to listen as well as to speak, to engage, to communicate. And, and I think if the administrators and adults in the room can understand that by trying to solve a problem rather than to litigate a problem, they will advance the cause of the exercise of free speech. We'll all be better off. And I like to think of Tinker after 50 years as still a very elegant statement of what the role of education is in our system, that students are there to be taught to think for themselves and not simply to absorb messages that educators want to impose on them. Well, thank you all. And I have uh, one last question before we close it out. If our listeners would like to follow up, how can they reach you? 
So email, I'm happy to respond, is s-w-e-r-m-i-e-l at wcl.american.edu. My email is j-h-a-n-k-s at a-h-l-e-r-s-l-a-w dot com. I can be reached via email at s-r-u-s-s-o at c-s-u-d-h dot e-d-u. And I can be reached via email at johnson underscore alex at l-a-c-o-e dot e-d-u and or on Twitter at amartinjohnson. Well, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode. I want to thank our guests for joining us today. We also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe, rate, and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting app. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.